The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 16th chapter. From that time, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took Him aside. He began to rebuke Him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever should save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Today's Gospel lesson, Matthew 16, verse 24. Jesus told His disciples, He said, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow. It gets expensive in a hurry. It changes. There was a hundredth anniversary. Thinking of anniversaries. There was a 100 year anniversary of the arrival of missionaries to Zaire. In that country, on their hundredth year anniversary, the Christians had gathered to celebrate. And they began to walk and travel from all parts of Zaire. Once was called the Belgian Congo. And they were to gather for about three or four day batch of festivities. It was going to start a little bit earlier, but there was a couple, three days there in the middle where it's going to be big. And so these folks are walking and they're traveling and they get there. They begin early in the mornings with enthusiasm. And as the numbers are growing and growing and growing, it goes from 10 to 100 to 1,000 people. Um, The celebrations grow too. Their worships lasted big portions of the day, from the morning to the evening. They, they sang songs of praise for hours. They would read God's words and, and celebrate those for hours. They were, there was preaching and sermons throughout the day, and there was lots of food and celebrations. And when they had times for gaps in the middle, sometimes they'd just go by trees, and like in the shade of trees, and just share their stories about how, how God has worked in their life and who was the one that told them about faith, that told them about faith, and they remember the stories. And sometimes they would just huddle about the, some of the old-timers who would be in the shade of these big trees, and there they'd listen to the old-timer stories about who their parents were and who their grandparents were and who their aunts and uncles were and the stories of their childhood and stories about how they come to know the Lord and how God had blessed and kept them. And so they would huddle by the, the veterans under the shade trees. And... Um, Somewhere toward the end of the celebration, after the third or fourth day, when they were getting ready to wrap it up and everybody was to go home, toward the end of that, 
they had noticed that this, this very old, I mean, he was a very tired and just worn out older man, that he had come. He had, it might have taken him a lot longer to walk that distance than he used to. But he finally arrived. And when he got there, he came towards the front and he asked the ones who were leading this event, he said, I would like, I would like to tell a story. I'd like to make a speech, is how they would say it. And though it was unplanned, and it was a bit of a surprise, and it was a little bit awkward, the leaders there gave him the, the time to make his speech, to tell his story. And so he stood and he began to speak. He told the people, first of all, he says that, that he is very old. I mean, they could see it. They could see his body was just worn, his knees were bent, his back was hunched over. He was just old. Um, but he recognized it, and he recognized he was tired. And that he said that soon that he was going to die. And he knew it. But before he could die, he needed to tell them something, something that no one else knew. That if he didn't tell the people this secret, that there was no one else that could tell it, that the secret would go with him to his grave. Then he explained that when the first white missionaries came, that he and his people, they did not know whether to believe their message or not. The missionaries were such strange-looking people. They wore strange clothes. They had strange customs. They were sharing a strange message. We had our ways, he said, and we were not interested in these strangers' new ways. Not knowing to believe them or not, We leaders devised a plan that we would put these strange missionaries of God to the test. Secretly, a few of the leaders began to poison the missionaries. We poisoned the missionaries just a little at a time each day over an extended period of time, and we watched them as they died. One by one, children would become ill and slowly progress and progress in their illness until they died and were buried. One by one, the adults would become ill and one by one die and would be buried. When we and the other leaders and the people saw how the missionaries would care for us and would care for each other, even while they were sick and dying, When the people saw how the missionaries cared for each other and celebrated their faith in Jesus, even as they died, it was then, the old man said, that we decided to believe and accept their message of Jesus. The old man ended, he said, and he said it was a word that was not forgotten. He said, they looked good on wood. Carrying their cross was the implication, but the way he said it was, they looked good on wood. We believed. Now think about it for a moment. Those good-intentioned missionary families, those white folk, they left their lands, they left their people, they left with beautiful thoughts of how they could bring the good news of God's love and salvation to the people of the Belgian Congo. They had beautiful intentions. No doubt they had beautiful thoughts of how life there would be and how God would work powerfully to bring the truth 
to the minds and the hearts of the people they would share God's message with. Those missionaries never knew as they left their homelands the cost of sharing the good the good news would be. Those first missionaries, they did not know what was going to happen to them. And when they were there, they didn't know that they were being poisoned by the very people they were coming, they had come to save and bring the good news to. They did not know why their children were dying and why they were dying, but they were. They stayed in that place. And they stayed in that place teaching the stories of God's and God's people. They could have packed up. At the death of their first child, they could have packed up. Mom could have said, we're going home. I'm not losing my other children. Daddy could have said, no, I'm not losing my other wife. I'm not losing anybody. We're leaving. But they didn't. They stayed. They stayed in that place. And not only did they stay, but they continued to care for these people, these people of the Belgian Congo, and they cared for each other. They suffered and died in that place. They refused to leave because they were full of God's love and they would do nothing else but present it to the next generation. Maybe they didn't know if what they were doing was going to make a difference at all. Maybe as they were dying, they didn't see a change in any people's minds or hearts, but it didn't change them. And in the end, it was the way that they lived And the way that they died, it was the way that they responded to death with faith and hope and a trust in eternal things. Not just the moments, the the death in the moment, but they had a a forward-looking way. Maybe it was in the way that they picked up and carried the cross of Jesus that all the others would come to see and believe that their God is going to be my God. And that I'll carry a cross too. What the old man said was true. He said, those missionaries, they looked good on wood. Meaning, they carried their cross well in their life, in their death. They did it well. They looked good on wood. Jesus told his disciples, again, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, If anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves. Let them take up their cross and follow me. Now, we might be tempted to think that somehow it's always, it's always easier for someone else to do those things. You know, it's always easier for some missionaries from some place to go someplace and live and die for the sake of their gospel. It, was, it had to have been easier for those disciples following Jesus to pick up their cross and follow them. It was just easier for them than it would ever be for us. I can't do that. But that's not always a good temptation. In the gospel lesson, we're going to remember that it was hard in ways that we don't get. So we're going to unpack this a little bit. When Jesus says, deny yourself, to us, we might think that's not a big deal. Denying ourselves is language that is psychologically familiar to us in our world because we have that phrase, we know the phrase, like, be all you can be. There's a, when you hear that phrase, be all you can be, it's like, it's about you. An army of one, yet an army of one. It's a, it's a, it's a complex phrase, but you can be one, an individual, yourself. You can be a standalone, think alone, self-determined, 
autonomous person. We have that. We have in our society, it's your choice. We have in our society, if it feels good for you, then it's got to be good. We have all those relative ethics that say, it's all about me. I make up my mind about what's right and wrong, and I can do that independently from anybody else. That's our culture. We get it. That's what we live in. But it was an odd phrase, an irregular phrase for the people of Jesus' day to hear that. The concept of a freestanding, autonomous, independent me, myself, and mine is virtually unknown to the first century world that Jesus was speaking to. See, in that culture, the self was not independent, autonomous. The self, or the person, wasn't even even thought about in that terms. The person was identified by, by, by their relationships to other. Think about it. In this day, I say, my name is Jeff Carpenter. I shake your hand, and boom, I'm, I'm, I'm by myself. But in that time, if you shook your hand, you would say, I am Jeff, son of Larry, son of Lee, son of, son of. It was part of a relationship. Even today, when my wife got married in Mexico, when the woman is married, it says, de la, of. So my, my mother-in-law was Martha Rivera, her mate, her new, her husband's name, de la Vega. It was, there was a connection to your family that was not to be broken. You were not by yourself. You were connected. You couldn't identify with anything other than the sum of all these other people. It was a relationship within a family group and a community. In the first century world, the idea of kinship and family and community, it is what determined and controlled an individual. The family or community gave identity to the individual. It was who you were. The family or community group maintained the world that you existed within. That's how you saw yourself. I am this, son of this, of this clan, of this family. And so when Jesus made his words, it was uncomfortable and it was radical. Deny yourself. What he said by saying deny yourself is this. Give up your world. Give up your mother, your father, give up your brothers, your sisters, your aunts, your uncles, your grandparents, your community, your jobs, your education, any title, any rank you have, give it up. Give up your connection with the land, give up your connection to music, give up your connection to culture, to your food, all that sustains and defines you to anybody else in the world, you're going to give it all up. Deny yourself. It was not about some temporary, momentary slightly sacrificial thing, like a half-day fast here, or I'm going to give up my excesses for someone in need over there. No, it was a total all-in. It was give up all that you know, all that you love, all that defines you. Deny yourself. The second part of Jesus' statement was equally challenging. Then he says, after he says, deny yourself... Take up your cross and follow me. Folks, that statement would be near impossible for a first century Hebrew person to receive. To the first word, give up all you know and love, he added, in our words, carry the evil empire's tool of torture and death with you until he uses it on you. For us, it would be like this. I'm going to try to make an analogy with this one. If Jesus made the statement to us today, it'd be like I'm looking at you and I'm saying, all right, one, you deny yourself. 
The next thing is, is I want you to leave your, your house, your wife, your husband, your family. I want you to leave your job. I want you to leave your community. I want you to leave your state. I want you to leave your country. And I want you to go to Syria. And when you're there, I want you to tell anybody that you know who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, that he is the son of the living God, that he has a way, a truth, and a life. And you're to present that message. And oh, by the way, as you do so, when you leave your home and when you travel everywhere you go, I want you to carry this dull machete with you so that you can present it to the Muslim hater who's going to use it to slowly chop your head off. How would that sound? That's what he's doing. You're going to leave everything and you're going to carry a cross. That cross was the tool of Roman threat and oppression. That is how they killed people. They hung him up on there and they didn't spear him. In Jesus' time, they, 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 they speared him on that day, but Jesus was already dead. They didn't. They, no, they let you hang on there and slowly suffocate for days and everybody watched. 30,000 plus Jewish people died on Roman crosses. They knew what it meant to be uh, on wood, to hung on wood. They knew what looking good on wood was to Roman. That was like, you're dying on that cross. It's serious business. It was a heavy message. It's not any easier for them to hear than it is for us. It's just the way that part is. Heavy message. Now, heavy message, having heard that, there are times in our lives when we're going to hear heavy messages. And I think you know what heavy messages could mean to you. There's probably been times in your life, if you are parents, where you might have gotten news about a child who might have been in a car accident. You might have gotten news about a child who made a foolish decision and they landed their little heinies in jail. Maybe there were some of the decisions that were same to you as, as parents about how your decisions, your children made bad decisions and you knew the outcomes of them. That's heavy on you. How about if you got the decision where your spouse comes to you one day and says, oh, by the way, I don't want to be married to you anymore. That is a heavy decision moment. Or maybe the doctor tells you when you go in for a checkup that you didn't see coming because you just weren't feeling all that well. You just want to do a blood test. And you, oh, by the way, but for your blood work, you have stage four cancer and you've got like two weeks to live. That is a heavy message. We have friends and, and, and people that we know in this world that have received heavy messages. And when you receive those heavy messages, one of the natural responses is, is, is silence. When I got news that my, my, I won't go there. Well, I have to. When my grandfather passed away, one, I choke up. It was, it was lousy news. It was too much. I just went someplace and was quiet. That was my response. I just, I went someplace quiet. I got my hug from my mom and I just went someplace quiet. And maybe we find that normal in humanity. Next week, on Sunday morning, we're going to remember 9-11. And we're going to have a moment of silence. Why is it even now, in the secular world, they will say, after some heavy news has been delivered, and we remember the anniversaries, that even, even the agnostics will say, we're going to take a moment of silence. Something about heavy news and hard news is followed by silence. Well, I share that with you because today we've received heavy news 
if you're going to follow me, you need to deny yourself. You need to leave everything you know and love and trust. And you need to pick up your cross and follow me, which basically goes to the enemy camp carrying your dull machete for them to kill you with. That's heavy news. And what follows that biblically in this, after Jesus' last statement, was silence. Look it up. Read the end of chapter 16. Because at the end of chapter 16, when you start chapter 17, it will say, after six days, Jesus took them to this place. Folks, they had six days of biblical silence. Six days. That's huge. On the seventh day, he rested. On the seventh, on, the, on the, this day, on the, on the first day of the week, he was resurrected. But six days, something's working. It's not the finished product, but it's working. And six days of silence means that they, it was hard news and they needed, to, they needed to figure it out. Now, what happens in your life when you settle down and you're quiet? What happens in your life when you go on a retreat for a while and you're involved with silence? Sometimes they'll have retreats where they'll say, for the first day, for the first half of the day or the first day, you don't speak. You don't say a word to anybody. You go about your business, you get your food, but you don't speak to anybody, not even a hello. Silence. Something happens to us after we receive heavy news and then we're in that quiet place that maybe, just maybe, we're going to remember some things. And we're, we're going to get past the, the shock of the news and we're going to go back over here and we're going to hold on to some truths and some beautiful things that aren't dependent upon that hard news. In the gospel lesson, after they said you're going to deny yourself, you're going to leave your families, and after he said you're going to carry a cross, you're going to follow me, and that's overwhelming for them. In those six days, the disciples were at a place where they could start to remember what else did Jesus say. Because when we read those lessons, did any of you pick up on the phrase, and on the third day I'll be raised? Most humans don't hear that. When you get in the whole litany of all the hard news, you're not remembering all the little good news. Did you also hear in the lesson where he says, I'm going to come back to my Father's glory and we're going to, we're going to judge and, it's going to, and I'm going to be the Lord of life? I mean, there's a phrase in there where he's going to return. They didn't get that. The heavy news was too heavy. They couldn't get there at the time. And so in the silence, though, they got there. They returned and they heard every word that Jesus said. Yes, I'm going to suffer. And yes, I will be killed. Yes, it will be on a cross. And yes, I will die. And, in the silence they heard, and, I'm coming back on the third day. And when they heard that, they just didn't remember that he's coming back on the third day. They remembered that he walked on water. They silenced the storms. He tells the demons to leave. He tells the lepers to be cleansed. He tells this person to be healed. And he calls these guys who are just common guys to follow them in spite of that they weren't good enough. Follow the Messiah of God. They start to remember all of that in that silence. So yes, they're to deny. And yes, there is a cross. But that is not the final word. That diminishes as Jesus cranks up the light and they see up the light. They see that no, He's going to be the Lord of the living. That His life is the final word. His kingdom is the final word. This death is not the final word. And only in the silence did that come. In the hard times, if you find yourself that you need to go away someplace and be quiet, go and be quiet. But remember the whole story. Not just the hard part where you miss them. Not just the hard part where you're scared about something. Remember the whole story. That Jesus is is Lord of life. Peter's statement is still true. You are the Messiah of God. You are the Son of the living God. 
Our God's about life. And the hardships and the death of this world are not the final story. The disciples got it. From this point on, they're going to go to Jerusalem and the cross. It's a turning point. They go to the transfiguration and they keep on sliding all the way down to the cross. That's what they do. And that doesn't end there. Because they go to the ends of the earth and they share the good news. Even if they deny themselves and even if they carry the cross. Because the good news of Jesus was so great that they could do nothing else. They were so delighted and so full of joy and hope and trust in their Lord that crossing that board up there would be no problem because Jesus will make them do it. They did it. To those missionaries, they had heard the good news. They believed it. And they went to the Belgian Congo and they watched their loved ones die. And they still held on to the fact that Death isn't the end of the story, that their God is bigger. God, and they did so with a joy and a trust and a hope and a confidence that it, can, it infected the whole area with Christianity because they saw that they just didn't say it fluff with their words. They lived it and they meant it in their very lives. And it changed the world. I think we remember stories like this today for us because we'll be that same people. Is it a hard message? Absolutely. It is, un- it is uncomfortable to say goodbye to the world and say hello to God. But boy, saying hello to God is pretty good. It's very good. And so we're to hold on to that, and then we're to teach the world to do the same thing. We're to know our Lord and to trust His words and to remember His words and who He is. And then having done so, the very next thing is the natural response. is we tell that truth, we make that truth known in how we conduct ourselves, and how we have joy at the grave, and how we can have trust in the cancer, and how we can have faithfulness in the time of all the hardships. Let's be that people. That's what the gospel lesson might be telling us on this day.